Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. First, I would like to give a big thank you to everyone who listened to the bonus episode on the Long Island serial killer, which came out over the weekend. There was some breaking news in that case. They finally released the 911 calls from Shannon Gilbert, who is a possible victim of the Long Island serial killer, and I did a direct response to that. And on Sunday, I also did a short promo for an upcoming series that is going to happen on BBOR about the case of Stephen Avery, made famous by the docu-series Making a Murderer. And big thank you once again to Jerome from the French Wrecking Crew for sharing a lot of things with me. And some some more quick announcements before we begin this episode. First, I would like to remind you guys that in addition to the ways of supporting the channel that are listed in the intro, you can also support Black Box Online Radio at buymeacoffee.com, and the name of my page over there is BlackBoxNed88, but the link is in the description box, and if you'd like to make a contribution, all is welcome. It just goes directly back into supporting the show, things like buying books and equipment, buymeacoffee.com slash BlackBoxNed88. But like many of these, Zodiac Killer News Reports, I often begin with an icebreaker question or a challenge question, and the one for this week comes to us from two different sources, and it is very simple. Do you enjoy coffee shop dates? Like going on a romantic date to a coffee shop. Some people think that it's very classic, other people think that it's a little bit boring. Which camp are you in? Or you can be somewhere in the middle. Imagine a Venn diagram in your mind, if you will. But um, I ask you this one because I'm a big fan of the show The Rational Male, which is hosted by Rolo Tomasi, and he said something that was rather both odd and some food for thought at the same time, and that is... Do not ever go on a coffee shop date because that shows that you can accept some type of boring or mundane outcome. You're showing that you're willing to do things that are not exciting or that you are just very basic and you will not create any type of genuine energy with the person. And I was like, wow. Wow, that's a that's a, a really um, interesting way of looking at it. But I wanted to ask this question because about 10 years ago, I stumbled upon a YouTube video from a woman who was maybe from Russia or a neighboring country in Eastern Europe, perhaps, just guessing. And she said something to the exact opposite side, and that was that if you're going to go on a first date with somebody... Some people think that, oh, let's do something exciting. Well, there are more ways that that could go wrong. And even some of the venues that you could choose to bring somebody, such as if you want to bring someone to a jazz club, maybe they absolutely hate the sound of a saxophone. I don't know how I love the things, but maybe they don't. Or if you want to bring someone to a Vietnamese restaurant, maybe there are going to be loads of ingredients that they either don't like or they can't ingest because of some reason. So she said the answer is to the first date, bring your person where? To a coffee shop. Choose the place with the neutral atmosphere and then use your personality and your own natural awesomeness, which you all have, to attract the person to you. So who do you agree with? 
the man or the woman in that, the man who says coffee shop dates are boring and you're showing the, that you're boring? Or do you think that it's good to bring someone to a neutral place and then try and attract them using your personality? If you would like to respond to the icebreaker, please write your answer in the comments section down below. And the final announcement is that uh, I'm actually giving a shout-out to Will Bloodworth, who sent this into the Facebook page, that he misses the audio downloads of this program for free at Launchpad 1, so this episode will be available for download at just that, Launchpad 1, Black Box Online Radio. There's a link to that in the description box. If you would like to download the audio as a pure podcast, you can do so. Take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. If you would like to download the video version, you can use YouTube Premium, but that one you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. And I was uploading the audio as a pure podcast because some other listeners had requested it in the past. They like to uh, take the show when they're out driving or jogging or walking anywhere outside of the land of Wi-Fi. But I had stopped doing it, and I decided if anyone made a request, then I would start uploading the show again to Launchpad 1, and request granted. So please look out for some free downloads of this program, and to some real Zodiac Killer news, as always, there is a podcast out there called Serial Killer Z to A. It is done by the Zodiac Killer channel, and season one of that program is talking entirely about the Zodiac Killer. So if you haven't heard that one yet, I would invite you to listen to it. It's going to cover some more of the basic general info, talking about the Zodiac Killer. The narrator on that one is awesome. The Zodiac Killer was a serial killer who operated in 1968 and 69. Whatever happened before or after that is anyone's guess. I am not someone who is a big believer in any of these pre-Zodiac crimes or non-canonical crimes. I have not been convinced of any of the victims, whether it's the murder of Ray Davis in 1962, or the Domingos Edwards in 63, the Swindle murders in 64, and so on. I'm just simply not convinced. If it turns out that they find the smoking gun some way, somehow, and it's revealed that all of these crimes are connected, I will say, okay, I was wrong. But until then, I really believe that the only crimes that were committed by the Zodiac Killer were the ones in 1968 and 69. And another question is, why were these people murdered? What was the point? And this was covered in the most recent episode of the Serial Killer Zeta A show about, let's say hypothetically, if prime suspect Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac Killer, a motive that was heavily explored in the past was that we'll commit a series of crimes that seem to have no clear motive to confuse the authorities, and that is often referred to as the criminal masterpiece. Maybe even make it a criminal masterpiece loaded with mathematical signatures that no one would ever be able to figure out. But if we're going to talk about people who thought that the Zodiac crimes were a criminal masterpiece loaded with mathematical signatures, we should bring in another person to the discussion, and that is Gareth Penn. Robert Graysmith put out a book in, called Zodiac in 1986, and in 1987, Gareth Penn released Time 17, which more or less said that almost everything in the Zodiac killer case was a mathematical signature. Things are loaded with Morse code and binary and radian angles. So many things are mathematical in the Zodiac world. In Gareth Penn's mind, 
and I did a six-part book discussion one time 17 in 2020, and I had to stop because I was planning on doing more like a 10 or maybe even 15-part book discussion on it, but I had to stop for a couple of reasons. One is, just being honest, there were other Zodiac Killer books that I wanted to read and share with you guys, but the more important reason was that you had to accept the initial premise that everything in the Zodiac case is a mathematical signature, that this person is this many footsteps away from this building, and then you can convert that into Morse code and then into binary. And um, or, or, or to give you an exact example, Gareth Penn believed that the Zodiac Killer murdered Sherry Jo Bates in 1966, and that if you were to play around with the mathematical values of the word Timex, because a Timex wristwatch was found nearby the watch band, 7-inch watch band was found near the body of Sherry Jo Bates, and it had the word Timex, right? If you were to play around with the mathematical value of that word, you would get 617, which is the area code from the state of Massachusetts. And his suspect, Michael O'Hare, was um, someone who was heavily connected to both Massachusetts and California, hence the title of Gareth Penn's book, Time 17, The Story of the Zodiac Killer in the State of Massachusetts and California, 1966 to 1981. And Gareth Penn is a researcher who went on to become a suspect himself. And one of the reasons for talking about him now is to give a shout-out to Glenn Collins, who says, Good morning, Ned. Can you please do a video on Gareth Penn as a suspect as a Zodiac suspect, excuse me, please and thanks. Alright, so, I think that Gareth Penn is absolutely more considerable as a suspect rather than a researcher, because he just wrote this book that is filled with these wild mathematical observations, and we have no idea of verifying them or not, and it's just so beyond belief. And I've said this once, but I'll say it again because I think it's important. Somebody once wrote into the channel saying that, all right, all this stuff about Morse code and binary and radians, Gareth Penn didn't even mean to take it all literally. He just wanted to draw attention to something that he thought was heavily neglected in the Zodiac Killer case, and that was mathematical signatures. And when we're talking about the radian discovery, that is that if you put an angle of 57.29 degrees on top of Mount Diablo, one arm of the radian goes to Blue Rock Springs Park where Darlene Farron was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, one arm of the radian goes to Presidio Heights where Paul Stein was murdered by the Zodiac Killer, and um, Lake... Uh, Mount Diablo is also equidistant to Lake Berryessa, as is Travis Air Force Base, and it's tying into the geographic locations. But uh, Richard Grinnell of ZodiacCiphers.com was heavily critical of Gareth Penn, saying that he completely misunderstood what the Zodiac was trying to tell us. It's not about locating the kill sites, it was about the location of a bomb. The reason why you're supposed to use the bomb, or you're supposed to use radiance to find the bomb is because the bomb's location concerns radians and inches along the radians. I mean, maybe there's some type of hidden meaning there, but I confess that as a researcher, Gareth Penn is a little bit wacky. As a suspect, it's more considerable, because number one, he is providing explanations about all of these things and shows that he has an intense understanding of things like radian angles, 
things like Morse code and binary. And what I said during my book discussion in 2020 was, Gareth Penn is perhaps the best Zodiac Killer suspect. Do I think he was actually the Zodiac Killer? No. But I think he is the best suspect, because imagine the story. Somebody commits a series of homicides in 1968 and 69, or really 66 to 81, and then 15 years later, he writes a book telling you how it was all done. You dummies, it was in front of your face the whole time. You couldn't figure it out. I'm even going to hide in plain sight once again and show you how I committed all these crimes, and you will never, ever figure it out. I mean, that sounds like something that is larger than life and rather outrageous, but I, I think that there are some strikes against Gareth Penn as a Zodiac Killer suspect. Number one, I'm highly skeptical of his body type, because he may have had the brain for it, he may have had the knowledge for it, but body type? The book Sighting In on the Zodiac Killer by Drew Beeson lists Gareth Penn's height and weight from 1969 as 6 feet tall, 165 pounds. Now, how, how would you tie that into the footprints that were taken at Lake Berryessa, or made at Lake Berryessa, and then they made casts of the footprints after the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and the forensic estimations that were made by Harold K. Snook were that this was from someone who weighed 200 to 220 pounds. I mean, he must have been wearing a pretty big backpack if he did indeed weigh 165 pounds, and then, like, what was he doing, walking on concrete blocks or something like that? I mean, crazier things have happened, but I think that he is perhaps a little bit too thin and slender to have been the Zodiac Killer. And furthermore, I think this highlights a much bigger problem in the Zodiac Killer mystery. And that is, just because somebody has learned something, or has made a discovery, or has made an observation... They don't have to go on to become a suspect. It doesn't mean that they are a Zodiac killer, that they are the Zodiac killer. Prime example, Donald Gene Harden solved the 408 cipher. Really, it's him and his wife, Betty. But Don Harden solved the 408 cipher, and he goes on to become a Zodiac killer suspect. Gareth Penn makes a couple observations about the Radiance. He goes on to become a Zodiac killer suspect. Robert Graysmith writes a book called Zodiac and publishes it in 1986, as well as Zodiac Unmasked. He goes on to become a suspect for composing the ciphers in the Zodiac hoax theory. Just because somebody has some type of connection to the Zodiac killer mystery, it doesn't mean that they also had a malicious role behind the scenes. But there is an additional component of Gareth Penn's theory as a researcher that I would also like to talk to you about today, and that is the 1981 part of um, his book, Time 17, because Gareth Penn was also somebody who thought that the Zodiac Killer operated in the state of Massachusetts, and I said that there was a second reason for talking about this. This relates to the murder of Joan Webster, which occurred on or around November 28th of 1981. And what Gareth Penn thought was that, again, his suspect, Michael O'Hare, who uh, was with Harvard University at the time, then went on to go to UC Berkeley, but he thought that Michael O'Hare was the Zodiac. And he came up with this connection involving automobiles. And I think it's fascinating. I mean, I've been one of the few voices who has said that 
automobiles, cars, they are one of the only consistencies throughout the Zodiac Killer mystery. At the first crime at Lake Herman Road, Blue Rock Springs, Lake Berryessa, the Stein murder, that's one of the few commonalities among all of those crimes is that some way, somehow, a car is involved. What Gareth Penn said was, the first Zodiac crime was at Lake Herman Road where David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen were shot um, outside of their car. At Blue Rock Springs, the victims were shot inside of their car. At Lake Berryessa, the Zodiac killer stabbed the victims and then went back to uh, Brian Hartnell's car and wrote a message on the car door. Then, at Presidio Heights, Paul Stein was murdered inside of his taxi cab, but Paul Stein drove the Zodiac Killer to his death site, to the place where Paul Stein was murdered. I called it a death site. I mean, that's what it is, but that's just kind of a morbid way of looking at it. So then Gareth Penn added in this additional element of, with the murder of Joan Webster, the Zodiac could have approached her on November 28th and was now driving a car He's now driving a victim to the kill site. And the reasons why is because, as I said, Joan Webster disappeared on November 28th of 1981. She was at Logan Airport in Boston, Massachusetts. She was a graduate student at Harvard studying architecture. And Michael O'Hare um, has a PhD in architecture, although the majority of his work seems to be lecturing about public policy. I mean, I shouldn't say that. He's done a lot with architecture including the very famous artificial angle of 117 degrees. But Joan Webster is waiting in the taxi line after she has traveled back from Thanksgiving break, and some man approaches her, some man who has this really big beard and he's wearing glasses. He is simply known as the bearded man. And he asks Joan Webster to get out of the taxi line and she goes with him, and that's why Gareth Penn thought that, okay, this is the Zodiac Killer, and he is now driving the car, and Joan Webster was missing for nine years. Her remains were found in the spring of 1990 near Hamilton, Massachusetts, and she had died from blunt force trauma, although it's possible that some type of other um, abuse could have taken place. Maybe she could have been stabbed in some way. I mean, her remains had been in the ground for nine years. A lot of evidence was probably lost, but she was definitely struck in the head with a very, very heavy, blunt object. And if anyone would like to know more about the murder of Joan Webster and someone who is going to be challenging the Zodiac connection, there is a new book out that was just released a couple days ago by Eve Carson called Simple, Safe, and Secret, the 1981 murder of Joan L. Webster, because there are three competing theories, mostly. The first is that Gareth Penn's, that Joan Webster was murdered by the Zodiac Killer. The second is what the authorities put forward, that she was killed by the serial killer Leonard Paradiso, who was known as the Quahog, and he wasn't convicted of her murder, but they attributed her death to him. And the third is what Eve Carson is going to present, that there was a type of police cover-up that there was a state trooper named Andrew Palumbo who may have actually delivered the fatal blow to Joe Webster. I mean, possibly. I think she entertains that as a possibility. But he was doing so on behalf of somebody else, that she was specifically targeted, and then the authorities used their power to cover up the situation and then blame Leonard Paradiso for the crime. Now, 
if you ask me, I think that all of these are questionable theories, but again, you can read more in the book Simple, Safe, and Secret, The 1981 Murder of Joan L. Webster by Eve Carson. This is available from Genius Books, and you can get it on GeniusBooks.com or anywhere books are sold. Genius Books is also the place that gave us the wonderful Hunted, Profiled, and Exposed by Mark Hewitt, so lots of true crime material out there.